episode 14 of hometown glory i'm charlie and delighted to be back with you after a little break um and with me billy rosa and tom welcome guys um on this episode we'll be heroing and villaining the game that took your mighty lily whites back to the premier league summit we'll be looking ahead to the quick turnaround at Salas park probably spending a bit too long for tom's liking eulogizing Ange, doing exactly the same for the sensational spurs women and finally giving up our latest culture picks um, I should probably say, actually, Tom doesn't want to not eulogise uh, Ange. That's not why I said that. Just he, as our kind of editor-in-chief, is just absolutely sick of us just wanging on for hours about everything. So we're going to try and keep things a wee bit tighter, um, he says, before we talk for an hour and a half. Anyway, well, let's spin it. watch out, okay? Good. I think we all need that. We all need that. Um Let's, uh, guys, let's spin it back first to a drizzly Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for our first home game since the 24th of September um, and that mad win over Liverpool um, and our first evening game under Ange as well. Um, It was a match that saw Ange break the record for most points gained by any Premier League coach after nine matches, which is the sort of spurious stat that I can get behind. Um, But how was it for you guys? Um, Billy, you first. Give me something you liked or something you didn't like. We could go villains first, losers first if you want, or we can go heroes and winners. What do you reckon? Um, I'm just going to go like the whole experience of what we're going through right now as my big overall winner because I don't want to take it all for granted. Like I'm just loving absolutely every second of this and I'm not really getting too involved in the, you know, what's going to happen in May. You know, are we going to realistically put a challenge over the time? I'm not really worried about that. I'm just sort of taking every game with it kind of because I was so up for this game like and it was just an incredible feeling like the excitement it felt like it was like a kind of christmas day thing and it's like fulham at home and it's not even that big a game really but i've just been absolutely reveling and just being really excited to go and watch my football team thinking about it all week getting there and not being a disappointment when you get there and you not turn up to games and be like oh that was a bit rubbish wasn't it it wasn't we played really really well i know there were some difficulties in the game which we'll come on to later but i'm just really reveling in just having this connection to this football team and i absolutely love it so my big winner is us. Beautiful. And it was a really, um, it was a different type of game at the stadium because obviously we've only had, this is what, the fourth home game we've had. We've had under Ange and all of them have been a bit sort of wild and chaotic. Even the United game, you know, it being sort of his first match and, you know, beating United and the second half being so fun. And then obviously the Sheffield United game, the Liverpool games were just complete chaos incarnate. This felt a bit more like a kind of, you know, almost bog standard 2-0 home win, right, Bill? It was sort of a different yeah. vibe in the stadium. Yeah, it was. It, I wasn't ever really worried. I, I wouldn't say I was ever worried during the game, but Fulham are not an easy team to play against. They're a really, really difficult team to play against at times. They're a really hard team to break down. Um, I know that some of our rivals have drawn against them this season at home. And um, <clears throat> yeah, like Palinio is an, is an excellent player. He's a very frustrating player when you're playing against him. Because he's a thug I mean, as well. Yeah, he he's should have been booked about four, four times. He should have been booked. But they're not an easy team to break down. You know, they got they're really solid defensively. But I, I just, I yeah, I wasn't ever really worried. I just knew we were kind of, kind of, kind of do it really. And um, I think the sort of mentality, the shifts that has happened between Ange and last season has been incredible. And I just think that transpires to the fans, it transpires to the players, 
I don't think anyone really had any doubts yesterday. And it, it, it's not to say it was an easy game. It definitely wasn't. But yeah, just it's just a really nice feeling. Um, Tom, you were watching on telly. Did it have a similar sort of, okay, this is under control, nothing too much to worry about vibe, sort of watching from the safety of your own living room? It very much did in the first half. I think the second half, which we'll probably get onto in a bit, was uh, quite chaotic and worrying and that was from like the first couple of passes in the second half or certainly the first sort of five minutes we didn't seem to be able to stay on the ball like our passing was terrible anyway first half it was very relaxed and it was weird because it's that's the first home game I've watched on TV in forever like as a season to get older I've been to them most of them uh in the last few seasons nearly everything but um uh I'm going to Palace on Friday so I thought I'd skip that one uh, but yeah, I just want to like shout out Madison. Really, um, I think we should we should give him his praise. He's give him his flowers immediately because when we lost our greatest ever player, uh, there was such a gaping hole. And I know we've mentioned it in the last few weeks, but it's just crazy how well you know he hit the ground running. He's replaced Kane, and so much so, I think he's replaced him in terms of how we discuss him on this podcast, because I feel like we were always very guilty yeah. of like barely mentioning Harry Kane till like minute 58. Started. Yeah. Because we just took so it for granted. Yeah, and I no, wonder, that... I was, yeah, I wonder if we're doing the same with Madders a bit. Yeah, I just wanted to get to him early because yeah, what a guy, his, his post-match interview was brilliant. He's such a smart guy. Um, he was talking about, he played with that Bassey, uh, Fulham centre-back, who I think had barely played this season uh, and came in and they were playing two uh, left-footed centre-backs. Madison had played with him at Leicester and knew that he was left-footed and knew to turn him for um, for his goal. Yeah, he's so smart. He's back, he had, gave Carragher some uh, great banter. Carragher, who was weirdly so full of praise uh, about us, which was amazing. Um, but yeah, the main man at the roast, what a player. And, you know, I, I think I, I loved him at Leicester, so I, I really wanted him. I knew he'd be good. But that the main, the craziest thing is that he's replaced Kane in the Kane and Son partnership. Right. Like, again, last season, we were just like, where would we be without Kane? Season before, it was where would we be without Kane and Son? And now it's where would we be without Madison and so on. I think they were unbelievable in that first half. And like, and already, just like Kane and Son had, they've got that tele- telepathic understanding. They're gonna they get getting assists for each other. They're gonna get so many goals, I think. And personality-wise, they just seem to be completely in sync as well, which I you know, I I never doubted that Sonny and Kane were like friendly and close and you know had this incredible telepathic relationship on the pitch but I don't know if I ever bought that they were like particularly chummy like off the pitch whereas I can imagine Madison and Sonny kind of hanging out and they just seem like they just get on like a house on fire so yeah just I'm glad we did that we needed to um to give James his flowers I don't know I called him James like he's I don't think anyone's called him James since he's joined Spurs he's he's mad isn't he but his um, mum that's it his mum yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't even I imagine even his wife probably just calls him Madders at this point. Um Rosa, I'm glad you jumped in because it's been I haven't come to you yet and I, I very much should have. As uh I want your I want your winner, please. Give me give me some some lovely stuff from last night. 
I am basically just on my Romero apology tour 2023, probably going into 2024, let's be honest. Um, I thought he was just unreal last night. I think part, like, I wasn't really worried either. Um, but I think, and I think part of the reason you're not worried, I just, not that I didn't get nervous, but there was never that sort of like horrible, like crushing anxiety of, oh my God, we have to win this game. What if we don't get another goal? And I think part of the reason you don't worry so much is because we play such fun football. So you're just enjoying the whole experience. It's almost like you have less, you just don't have so much time to worry because the stuff you're watching is so good. And like, amazingly, like Romero, like one of the sort of key moments of like sheer joy. What the fuck? Where the hell did that come from? What was that? Came from Romero. Like he was outstanding in defense as usual. But when he just kind of went on his little sort of rampage forward and then stopped and checked back. And then you're like, is he get what's happening here? Is he getting lost? And then he just slides the pass through to Kulu, which should have been like, you know, the greatest goal ever. Um I just thought, what am I like, what am I watching? This is such bliss, really. So once again, cutie, a thousand apologies from me. I'll never live it down. And I'm quite happy about that, to be honest. Um my other hero is, as always, um Vic. Because I think he was again just incredible last night. He saved us on several occasions. But I'm also just like I sent you guys that photo that I felt compelled to take um, at one point in the game where I just realized I think it was at some point during the second half. And he's like practically up on the halfway line. And I'm like, a, a, a keeper's allowed to do that. Like, I don't, maybe I just don't re remember because we've spent so many years being kind of pressed back against our goal. But like, I don't even know if Hugo ever did that, like in his prime, you know, it was just, it was almost like he just kind of decided, I'm just going to go into defense now because that's where they need my help. Yeah. And I thought one of the, one of the other things I noticed, like I haven't really noticed before as well, is how vocal that he is. Um, he's absolutely screaming at the like, defenders like during the whole game and he's like he's asking for the ball he's like positioning them around he's telling them what's happening I, I really sort of noticed that a lot last night that he's he's really really vocal as well and I just thought he was that save against Panini is one of the best saves I've ever seen in the flesh and it was it's just on from the corner Bill from the corner yeah the, the bullet header because was that right in front of you it was literally right in front of mm -hmm. me and as soon as like, that ball hit Panini I was like oh that's a goal and they've, they've yeah. scored one down. I've watched it back and I still can't yeah. believe it didn't go in I, I don't know how he gets it it's like mm -hmm. when you see it in, live in the flesh as well you you sort of experience that reaction time and, and like live in front of you and it's like it's like less than a second for him to do to do that and go full stretch and make that save um it was, it was really quite incredible but I just thought the whole game yeah, it's just another outstanding performance um from the Tottenham one I think um, watching Chelsea-Arsenal the other day as well and Raya having an absolute nightmare. And I don't think... And Sanchez. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and it was so, just calamity at either yeah. end of that game. But like, I kind of don't... I haven't thought too deeply about us not getting Raya, like whatever. Um, but what's crazy is that we had no competition for Vicario. We got the deal done quietly in a very Paratici kind of way. Suddenly we'd just sign this keeper. We all wondered who the hell he was. But every big team basically bought a keeper in the summer. Onana's having an absolute nightmare. Chelsea, who knows? Raya, ha like, really hasn't been great. And there's been so many stories about who should be Arsenal's number one. Um, so, yeah, we just got our business done and he looked so confident in front of an entirely 
new back four, essentially. Like, well, in fact, we've got an entirely new back five. Romero, we owned. Porro only came in in January, didn't he? Um, you know, and we hadn't played a flat back four in forever. Uh, yeah, I just they they that four plus five, sorry, including Vicario, are just so confident, and you just don't worry about them. Van der Ven. I think and again really won enough. the ball for the first goal, right? Yeah, um, he did. He for the first goal, yeah. Yeah, like and I am. Um, Carragher seemed to point out that he gave Romero a look, left Vinicius. I mean, it was Vinicius. We've talked <laughs> a lot about Vinicius on this podcast previously. Oh, I dragged off at half time as well, poor. Yeah, Connor. I know. But Van der Ven was clearly like, "You can, Romero. You can definitely handle Vinicius on your own." <laughs> and just ran forward to press. It was brilliant. Um, I enjoyed the, there's like this sort of noise now that you hear in the crowd when, um, when Mickey's like revving up to like go after, it's almost like watching a sort of greyhound race or something. It's like, and release Mickey van der Ven. And he sort of sprints off to like hunt down the attacker and it's everyone kind of knows like watching an attacker. It's a, yeah. it's a weird, like bums off seats moment, but you're yeah. like watching your guy like defend. Billy, you were in the South Stand last night, obviously, and there was a bit, I'm sure it was more exciting for you than it was for Rosa and I up in the West, but there was a bit where the first time Fulham tried to put away, I don't know if it was Vinicius or Willian or whoever it was, and sort of Mickey got to him in like, you know, 0.5 of a second. And there was this like, this hum of excitement. Kind of like um, the, the what I call the Aaron Lennon sound is when you just see everyone's standing up and like... It, it, he was a good five, ten yards behind him at least, and he managed to get there with, with ease. It wasn't like there was one in the international break. I don't know if you saw it with Gusto from Chelsea, where mm. France, and that was when Gusto tries to knock the ball behind him, which obviously shows he has no no clue about Mickey Van der Ven whatsoever. But this was like a bit different because he was actually quite a bit in front of Mickey Van der Ven, and um, yeah, it was just unbelievable. And then he is again it's a, a trait for a lot of our players this season. He's really won the fans over so quickly. I think he was probably the most chanted name last night. I don't know if you guys agree. He with was that. the first one. I'm, I made a note that he was the first name chanted last night. Yeah, a few, few times in the South Stand where he's being chanted, um, and yeah, it's just and that to win the ball back for that. For, there were two bits of really, really good pressure in this game. One was from Hoybier, one was from Mickey Van der Ven. Um, but I just think it just goes back to what Rose was originally saying that. Him and Romero just make each other look really good. And it's an incredible, incredible partnership. They're so smart, the pair of them. Like it's like they're made for each other, isn't it? It's like they're yeah. literally bought to play together. And it's like it's like telepathic almost. You can say that for all four of them though, because like Poro goes on insane runs. Adogi is often like right just outside the box. Um and yeah, they all seem to know when to make that run and when not to, and kind of yeah, just have a brilliant understanding with each other already. And it's good to hear that Vicario's like sort of bollocking them when he needs to, or shouting at them at least. Yeah, and it's weird because we had those preseason games where we we played some like I can't even remember who we played. Some was it like the Lion City Sailors or something like that? I mean, we, was it, we were like uh, all of our preseason games were like five three, weren't they, and stuff? And everyone's like, oh, every game you know we're going to score six and concede five. But we look much more solid now than we did under Conte last season. We're back four of two players that are essentially, you know, midfielders in Poro and New Doggy, the way they're playing inverters. Um, you've got two really attacking centre backs, but we just look so solid at the back. And it's not some. I think when everyone had this sort of reservations about Ange at the beginning of the season, it was kind of, what's the defence going to be like? But we've actually got the most clean sheets in the league at the moment. Um, 
Yeah, I just feel we look so solid, and I don't really ever have those. It's not like every game we're conceding loads of chances and worrying like that. We do concede the odd few chances every team does, but I never really look at a team and think, "Oh man, they're cutting us open here." Time after time, it's just yeah, we look really, really solid with the back four. I so think part of that as well is defensive players every single game. You know, just before you even kick off. I think part of that though is that. Like I think Vicario does sort of play as a defender as well. Yeah, so, like, did you guys watch that? Um, and Tom, maybe you saw it anyway because you're watching from home. The um, Carragher and um, own, what's his face? Um, Gary, O'Neill. Gary O'Neill, and they do the analysis of like how we how we set up basically, and it's literally just the two central defenders and keeper, and that's how we play up. And if you look, like our fullbacks are so 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 far forward already from the beginning. Um, it's kind of it's wild, but it's also he's Gary O'Neill seems to be saying that that's it's actually quite hard to play against that. It's quite hard to kind of work out how to play against that because it is a different way. Like everybody else plays out from the back pretty much in the league now, but we play out sort of slightly differently. And I do think, and obviously the sort of the speed that Romero and especially Van der Ven both have is crucial to that and their speed of mm. thought. But I do also think Vicario is such a crucial part of that as well because he can he comes out so far and his reactions are so fast. He's so involved at all times. I don't know if we have talked about this that much either. I feel like he's such a good footballer as yeah, well. Like he's so good with his feet. Really, really good with his feet and like a good sort of like range of pass as well. Like he can bar do short passes, long passes, and he's just, he's just, you know, we've seen it so, you know, I love, I'm not I'm trying to slag off Hugo for the sake of it, but so many times when Hugo has the ball at his feet, every single person in the whole stadium is nervous, including the defense. Mm. Including him. Just, yeah, including <laughs> him especially, and it's just, it's not his strength, and we know he's, that's never going to be his strength, but it is Vicario's strength, and it's just such a contrast. And I liked the, because I, I feel like, um, he probably made his first errant pass out from the back last night that I've seen him in a in a game in a sort of non-friendly game for Spurs at least. And you know, Fulham nearly got in and a little header, wasn't it? Like Yeah, a little header. I or blocked that from my memory like immediately. When you guys were talking about this morning, <laughs> I was like, I, I, what? That never happened. <laughs> That's probably the way to do this season, I reckon. Just mm-hmm. block out the bad bits. But I just love the fact that it did not deter him at all and that's the thing with this team right is that they just you know they just keep going they keep going in this style they keep going with the same confidence nothing seems to to knock that confidence I mean maybe we'll you know we will get on and talk about the second half a bit where like Tom sort of hinted at you know I feel like a few passes did go astray in the in the beginning of the second half we you know got relatively fortunate albeit through some decent pressing to get the second goal and even that it didn't settle us down a million percent. We were still a little bit sort of sloppy and, but, you know, they do just keep going in the same style. And I kind of like that. And, you know, it's not just the style thing. I think he's sort of setting us these tests as fans almost, you know, and, and with the squad obviously as well, but it's like, you know, he'll bring off Madison and Son at the same time and we'll bring on, you know, some untested players. And it's almost like he's saying to them, Right, I need this group. I need all of you to show that you're capable. You're tuning up. Don't fuck it up. Like you've got, you know, 20, 25 minutes to go out there, keep this thing going. Doesn't matter that Madison's not on. Doesn't matter that Son's not on. You can do it. I trust you. And, you know, even with like Emerson, I'm not sure why why 
uh, Ben Davies didn't come on. Was was Ben on the bench? I think he was. He had a knock about. He wasn't on the bench. Okay. Okay. So oh, I, so he, he wasn't. Yeah. Okay. Don't worry. I did. I did my research about that. Apparently, he had a knock. But um, you know, I loved and hopefully Destiny's fine for Palace. But like you know, and Emerson had his you know one of his typical up and down games. But you know, much like with Hoybier, you know, he's he's able to give these guys that are you know quite sort of unfashionable now within the squad the chance to go and prove themselves, and I liked that. Um, my winner, I'll just do mine very quickly. Oh, sorry, oh, Tom, Charlie. go on. No, no, go for it, mate, go on. I was just going to say, shout out Sar actually, as well, when we're talking about... Yeah, head he grew. He really grew into it. I thought he started quite quietly, but, you know, he, yeah, he grew into it, and seemingly Ange said he was... The plan was always that he was going to play 60 minutes because he hadn't been... Hadn't been, been well or something, yeah. Yeah, but him, and I guess he'd never not played with Hoybier, barely played with Hoybier. So mm. they, they were brilliant at, at centre mid. Sarah is a real, yeah, that, oh, that, that flick header, yeah. Just... Unbelievable. I mean, I think we were tuning up at the time, weren't we? So I don't think it was like, it wasn't like a match saving header, but it definitely, he definitely would have scored if he didn't make that header. And it's the Sorry's... commitment as well to get all the way back. I love, like, I'm After completely the whole game obsessed with, with Rob Daly's commentary for the for our games as well. And he's like, perhaps oh, where's he come from? And you're like, oh, yeah, where did he come from? He's just like run half the length of the pitch to make that clearance. Unbelievable. I feel like he's always, he's just, like, always all over the place. Like, he's, like, in, like, mm. in a good way. Like, he's, <laughs> he's, he's, like, he's often at the right-back position. I know that's a, obviously a tactic that we have. He must, he's always seems to be on the right side of the pitch and then... Yeah, he's just all over the place. So I, I absolutely love him. He um he's a lesson for me actually. I talk about you know and sort of setting us all these challenges of um almost like tests of faith, I guess. And I feel like Sar is a good one for me because I am you know we mentioned he he perhaps started the game a bit slowly, and I was definitely like oh like he keeps giving it away and his touch is really loose and he's you know it's just not you know maybe he's not as silky on the ball as we need our midfielders to be. But you guys are completely right in that he just he and I think he does this quite often. He grows into these matches and he sort of finds his footing. He, um, you know, he just gets more confident on the ball. And also, you know, his his great sort of strength is just that lung busting capacity he has, just forgetting about the pitch, which you know isn't the flashiest of traits. But you know, you see with things like that header, is just absolutely priceless for a, for a midfielder playing in this system where they are. Like Billy said, you know, he's often having to sort of scamper back to cover for Porro and, you know, fill all these gaps like our central midfielders have to do. Um, I, however, I'm going to big up Sonny, um, which, you know, I know is is my want often. But um, I partly because I was sat next to two two South Korean, Korean guys who were over for their first game and um, just getting to watch their joy and excitement over his goal made a brilliant moment even more euphoric and they were two just lovely lovely guys that i really enjoy chatting to throughout um and also partly for sonny's interview with um with rob rob daly ben haynes and um marzi that did after the game which you need to watch if you haven't watched it it was it was just a real reminder to me how fortunate we are to have this guy as the sort of now you know absolute face of our club and i know he kind of has been on a sort of marketing level for years and years but now he's the captain I just think, you know, that that decision to announce him as captain on the day that Kane left, no less, um, sort of essentially sparked this total reboot of Coy's energy that we're all basking in now, I think. He, 
you know, it just seems to really have like given him an extra level of responsibility. He speaks so well, particularly in this interview, and he's just got this like hunger and a desire to achieve something for a club that he clearly feels is his club. Um, and he's still got that, you know, wonderful self-deprecation. There's a great bit in the chat where he's talking about his frustration at being subbed off. Um, and you know, the guys are interviewing him about it and quizzing him a little bit. And then he sort of suddenly realizes that, oh, you know, I, you know, that wasn't very good. That was, I, I feel really bad about it. And he feels bad about it because he realizes that he was being subbed off for um, Velez. And he says like, oh, you know, he's a young player. This was a big moment for him. I should have showed him, you know, more encouragement. I'm the captain. You know, this was this was like a really big thing for him, and I should have I should have done more. And it just really just captured to me just what like a uh, what just a king amongst men he is, and just how fortunate we are. Um, I, I guess uh, we kind of haven't talked much about Ange yet, actually, despite the fact we're top of the league and he's had the best ever start. Right, I think as you said at the beginning, yeah, best, best start. But I do think an absolute masterstroke from him was making Son captain and giving and making Romero and Madison vice captains. I think it sent such a great message to those three players who've since stepped up so much and clearly love Ange and want to prove themselves for Ange. And I think the three of them just set an amazing example for the rest of the squad. Like if you're Mickey playing next to Romero now, and like you said, Rosa, he's like a different player from, from last season. Um, Maybe the lack of a world cup helps, but um, yeah, all of those young players who can look up to Madison, Son and Romero is, it's just incredible. Um, So I think I don't always put that much sort of, um, uh, think it's that important who the captain is, but I do think in that case, Ange made an incredible uh, decision by not just appointing one, but appointing two mm. vice captains as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm just trying to really sort of quantify to see, like, live in the moment of this because I think what we're going through is really, really special. And I think, um, you know, as football fans, we can we can tend to get so bogged down and, you know, where are we going to finish? Are we going to get top four? Are we going to challenge for the title? But just having this sort of what we're going through right now is just like totally priceless. And I think everything about him is 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 perfect, really. Like the the quotes that he came out with on, I think it was that they got published on the Friday or, or the Saturday before the game or the Sunday before the game. Um, where he's talking about, you know, when you hug a, a football fan when they score, you know, you're not talking about who they voted for and stuff like that. You're just you're hugging them because they support the same football team as you. Like what what we're sort of living through right now is like the it's like the peak as a football fan. We've got this amazing guy who's not only just having incredible results on the pitch but he is like an incredible person as well and he's coming out of these quotes week in week out and it's just something to get behind so i'm really trying to consciously just enjoy it for what it is at the moment because lord knows of the last four years we haven't had this at all we've had the complete opposite of it we just had managers who sort of don't really you know you know they slag off our, our club at every given opportunity um and there's that sort of perception that they're doing us a favor and we've got the complete antithesis of that at the moment um yeah i'm just trying to consciously make an effort to just enjoy it while it's here because it might not last forever and it might not you know we're going to go through peaks and troughs of this um so i'm just trying to really really enjoy this incredible moment that we have and i just think he's just an incredible manager i'm just you know lucky for every single second of this that we get yeah and on that because and on what he said before the weekend actually because i remember because sort of reading it at the time, you know, 
for me, it was just a moment of like, it, it wasn't that I disagreed with it or anything. I was just genuinely in one of those moments, you know, that you have where you're just like, I don't, I don't know how to feel about this. But actually, when I was got into the stadium last night, I was like, Ange is right. This is what it should be. Like, the last couple of weeks have been some of the worst of my entire life. And I got into, and I needed this man. And I think so many people did. And I got into the stadium and I was like, this is it. When Ange says that football should be an escape, like, and I think, you know, we can have other conversations about the kinds of things that football can be used for and can be good for. But I think in its essence, it is an escape for all of us. And I felt that so strongly last night. I felt just like, I'm so glad we have a manager. I thought, Andrew's exactly right. I'm so glad he said those things. And it wasn't avoiding a, a sort of thorny issue or anything. It was just like, actually, this is the truth of that matter. So I think I felt really... Yeah, just really, really grateful for that, actually, in that moment. I think my favourite thing he said so far is when he was asked, like, are you worried about fans, like, getting ahead of themselves? Like, you mm-hmm. know, we're top of the league. Are you are you, you going to try and kind of dampen expectations? And he was just like, no, no, like, no, no, mate. Like, so many managers would have said, look, I think the fans should remember we're eight games in. We, they, they, you know, sets up for kind of bumps in the road. And actually, he was like, no, this is what it's about. Like this is, it should be a release, and it should, you know, whatever. Let them enjoy it. I think one of my one of my favorite things about him, he's he's like really aware of the fact that, you know, the managers that we've had in the past sort of see Tottenham as this thing that should be doing better. They're not not ambitious, whereas he knows that for those sixty thousand people that are in that stadium, Tottenham is our life, and he's. I'd say the biggest manager in world football who's aware of the, the weight of what it's like to be a football fan and what it means, um, you know, rather than just the weight of his own salary. And I think that that really really transpires in everything that he says I, I, I like always comes up with those kind of quotes Tom where he's like I'm not going to tell football fans how to fear it's not my job you know they can feel whatever they want he said the same about Kane as well when Kane left he's like I'm not I'm not here to tell anybody how to feel or how to how to process that as completely up to fans and I just think it's like it's like having another fan as manager this is exactly what it would be like um yeah just hang off his every word at the moment well, Do we um, want to talk about Grumpy Ange? Well, I was going to yes. say one, one. You know, we we talk about him saying, you know, fans can get carried away. He did offer a, you know, a healthy dose of reality in his assessment of the second half last night, which I really appreciate because I think, you know, hopefully that keeps them keeps them hungry. We've got a tricky away fixture, another London derby on Friday night, so a super quick turnaround um, against Palace. And, you know, the second half wasn't brilliant. And, you know, I think a better team probably would have got a goal back and given us a much a much more irritating, stressful last sort of 15, 20 minutes. Um, and, you know, and I think part of that, and we've discussed this before, is down to the fairly kind of yawning chasm in quality that there is um, between some of the starters and their, and their backups, which isn't you know is to be expected because you know there are probably two clubs in world football where there's not a huge gap between your starters and your backups but you know we're talking about quite a specific system it feels like the starting 11 we've managed to kind of find these beautiful round pegs for round holes and maybe some of the guys coming in don't do that or they've just not played a lot of football or they're just not very good all reasons uh valid um Oh, did let's let's talk losers from last night. And it always feels a bit mean talking about losers after a nice two 0 home win. But has anyone got anyone particularly that they felt Billy's hand straight up? Go on, Billy. 
Um, yeah, and I feels bad to say it, but I thought I was say Richarlison. I'm oh. not going to say Richarlison. I'm going to say Oliver. Okay. Um, oh, okay. I can get more on board with that. Yeah, I thought he was. <laughs> I thought he looked really poor yesterday. I just think. Do you? Because I okay. All right, go on. Go I, on. I, I kind of I at the beginning of the season I really thought Skip was going to be like one of Ange's favorite players. I thought he was and he had that Barcelona. Yeah, the Barcelona thing, game, yeah. and like Sar is just not so much as grabbed the chance. He's like full on taking it to a next level because. At the beginning of the season, those two were like neck and neck in the pecking order. And in fact, Skip was arguably even slightly ahead of him. And then now it's just not even really a question, is it? It's like he's so far behind. I don't. I thought some of his passing was really poor when he came on. I haven't really. I've never really seen him come on for a game this season where I thought, oh, he's played brilliantly there, and, he's, and that's a great sub. Whereas we've seen Hoybier, for example, do that on a, on, a, on a much better standing. I just, yeah, I really mm. worry for him. I think he's a bit out of depth at the moment, and I just kind of feel like in summer, I just don't, I don't really foresee situation where he's not going to be upgraded upon because I think the other subs have all got something um, you know like Johnson and people like that and even you know I think Lacelso is even a player that I think will add a lot to us this season because we don't really have many subs who've got that kind of creativity that happens when Madison comes off but with Skip I just I kind of struggle and see where he's going to fit in in the future I just think he's he's sort of I think his stock's fallen this season basically mm. I'm going to slightly contradict Billy just and say that I think LaCelso, Rosa will appreciate this, but LaCelso, man, like he, he played for Argentina, right? Uh, in the international break. And I know he wasn't on the pitch for a long time. And by that point, the game had slightly descended into chaos. I think Fulham had like their most shots in the last sort of five minutes of the game or something. The majority of their shots in the last five, 10 minutes of the game, it was kind of, but you know that's why he's being brought on to just kind of control it. I thought he was he was really terrible, and um, it annoyed me even more that he'd gone and played for Argentina when we, he hasn't played for us. And then did he? I didn't. I thought he. I kind of thought he did all right, but maybe I'm just I don't know misremembering bits. I mean, we've I, all got our like biases. Blind spots. Like, yeah. 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 I thought I thought he was absolutely woeful. I mean. Um, we watched him, I was sitting with our friend Kath, and we were watching him like warming up and he like looked exhausted, like already, <laughs> which wasn't a great sign. And I know that he had that kind of one sort of run. Um, yeah, he did. A nice but run. Was, but that was it. <laughs> and he also passed the ball like straight out of play. I mean, I but feel honestly, like they're all doing that for the last twenty minutes. But, that, but yeah, I mean, you're really right though. He's terrible. an experienced international player. <laughs> Excuse me. He's an experienced international. That's right. Choke on your words. <laughs> yeah, I am literally choking on my geo um, defense. And yeah, I mean, we, do him, we do need him. We do need him to come on. We do need him to come on in those situations. And um, I can't even get the words out. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> we need. My throat the thing is, is you um, realize the difference between yeah. when someone like Hoybier has come on and Perisic actually they've come in and they've done exactly what they've been asked to do yeah, they have they have settled they've been the grown-ups they've settled the games mm. down um they've given us kind of especially with Perisic who I thought we really missed last night they've given us kind of other outlets yeah and the so I think it was it was if I'm being generous I think it was really like the timing of it all was really unfortunate like we know that Madison and Son don't play 90 minutes fine they're going to get subbed off at some point but like normally, you wouldn't be taking off Sar and your doggy at the same time. Yeah. So it just it meant that like loads of them got chucked in all at once. So it just yeah. the whole game it all felt a bit. Anarchy, it basically. felt a bit Europa qualifier, didn't it? It was like this sort of weird hodgepodge of a team that have never played together. And 
Do you remember was, when we beat I, Southampton four? Like, was it four one at the beginning of last season? And Conte decided to use like all his subs at once, mm. and, and the game just was like madness. After that, we were like, nobody's playing actual football. They they just playing like they haven't even met each other before. So I feel, yeah, it was a bit, it's sort of unfortunate because even somebody like Brennan Johnson, who I'm really rooting for, he was very poor. He, was, he needs he, to, he, he needs poor. to stop being so polite. I think I said this to you guys, but there was one instance where we got the ball and we had a sort of fast break counter-attack situation. And I was like, this is it. Like he can open his legs. He's like the fastest recorded attacker in the Premier League. Go, You know, they're tired, go for them. And he just, he had Emerson running alongside him, sort of screaming for the ball. And he just decided to pass it square to Emerson, who then like fell over or something. And it was like, hopefully he's now realised which players you pass to in those situations. And, you know, Emerson Royale playing out of position at left back is definitely not one of those players that you pass to when you are attacking a tired Fulham on 80 minutes at home. But yeah, he he doesn't yet seem to have that sort of confidence when he's got the ball. But hopefully that'll come. And I think the thing is, when you mentioned Europa qualifiers, we don't actually have any of them. Like, so the, a lot of these guys, you know, Lacelso and um, Valise and people like that. I don't think Valise, you know, particularly had anything to do, but at least he looked really up for it. Um, I thought he was one of the, the better subs just because he, he he can maintain the press. Run about a bit, yeah. He did run about <laughs> a bit. But these guys, they don't have any sort of game time to gel together. Like they no. But our, our 11 is so set in stone now and it's so it's so comfortable in the system already that we, we don't have like a Europa qualifier or, an, or a cup game where we can sort of start the Celso and, you know, mm. start, start these players. And I think that and really it is. And it is a very like, it, as we've been describing, it's a very specific way of playing as well, which I think, you know, is really important. And these guys, you know, we've seen the starting 11 sort of learn on the job, right? You know, I think back to Brentford where it all looked a little bit kind of, you know, herky-jerky at points and players were still figuring out where they were supposed to be and where... Tony was on the know, left. Yeah. That's and wild I think, to yeah. think about. Like, we... Emerson Royale started over Pedro back then, think, you know, it was... Yeah, and I think what we have to remember is the, the team clicking as quick as that is a, is a freak. It's not. I know there's been a couple of articles about it today. I think from Barnerone who's saying this, the way that Postecoglou has got this team playing so quickly is it's an absolute. It's it's like a mm. it's not a normal thing. And I think so. Maybe the, the sort of what we're having to do with us as a sort of consequence of that is maybe the second string are not re- quite ready yet. But yeah. I think it'll come with time. I really do. I think mm. he mentioned about he mentioned on the press conference before the for the last game that maybe he's going to use more of the squad because we've got two games in five days. Yeah. Um, and maybe he, what I, I, I think what maybe might happen is maybe Johnson might start as my invention might happen. But yeah, I just think, I think these guys are going to need to come up to speed with the system. I think when they do, um, we've got a pretty good bench because I think it's just a bit different having like Valise, the Celso, Brian Hill, and these players on the bench. And it'll soon, I'm going to add Benson going to that mix. Um, I do oh, think they're going to be really useful. Oh, Rodrigo. Oh, imagine bringing him on after an hour. My yeah. God. That, what that- I know I was talking to Sam about this on Twitter as well, is when that first substitution is going to be unbelievable, isn't it? Like the reception he's going to get from the fans. Yeah. Absolutely well, can't wait for that. On that Europa thing, it is a blessing and a curse because, yeah, those... Yeah, it, it, is yeah those players that came in didn't look ready and but on the blessing side there were some good quotes from Kulu today saying uh, that he gave to Dan Kilpatrick I think saying that we have to take advantage of playing one game a week when every like there's Europa League games this week I think right and and Champions League mm. games. we've got well, to take advantage of it and just quickly word to Kulu because he I thought I, I don't know why Richarlison's getting so much stick he got an assist and he was really good first half 
second half. It was chaos. But Kulu was fucking excellent in that game, wasn't he? He tired. I mean, he's always the last one on, isn't he? Like, I feel like he's the he one sort of starter. Yeah. yeah. And there were definitely a few occasions where we sort of got the ball out to him on the right and he just sort of ran out of puff. And just but they had like kind of... three players on him, I think, a yeah. lot of the time. And he still he managed got, to emerge the ball. Out. He did, he did. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, yeah there was a and bit I... of hate for him in some quarters, I think, but I thought he did really well. And I think going back yeah. to the original point, which is why we started talking about this, is that... I loved Andrew's like furious, wasn't he? Basically, mm, yeah, and it's the worst forty-five minutes we've played the season, and um, I just love that because I think and Madison spoke about it a lot in his interview as well. It's like the sort of standards that he has. That's that's what you want as a manager, isn't it? You don't want, you know, we know he's a he's a lovely guy, but you kind of want that guy that's going to also he's got such incredibly high standards. He's going to let the players know about it as well, and you can tell mm. from every single player that does an interview him, they absolutely love him, and. Um, yeah, I think it's really refreshing to see, you know, he wasn't just like, oh, yeah, we won. I'm really happy. He was like, that's the worst we played this season, actually. But, you know, we need to be a lot better. And Madison was really, um, he was really funny when he said, you know, we all went back to the dressing room and we've just won 2-0 to go top of the league. And then Anne's just basically like coaxed them off for 20 minutes. And he was like, but that's, you know, that's what you want. And, you know, what's that now? Postacoglu has, hasn't lost for like, so like 50 odd home games consecutively in like three different continents or something insane. And like, you know, he, I think he values home form particularly as like, you know, you do not let your, you know, let people come in and sort of take advantage of your, of your castle or whatever. The analogy I've just totally brutalized there, but like, it's, it's the clearly fans a very, as well, I think he's mm, like, yeah. you have to show up in front of yeah. your fan. Yeah. And I think you could tell, I was sort of looking down at Angela lot and he was, you know, he was really frustrated that I think, you know, it stopped the fans really getting into it an awful lot in the second half because it was so bitty and there were so few passages of play that were fluent. And yeah, I think you're right, Rosa. He wants the fans to create, you know, that wall of noise and to really be able to get behind something. And when it's... Madison, um, he spoke about that Shakhtar game, didn't he, where we were 2-0 up and sort of coasting a bit. And I think the difference is, right, so a lot of, you know, Conte and Mourinho, they said, oh, Tottenham have always had problems with this in the past, which Ange did say to the players, but it's like, it's not like they've always had problems and me being a manager is not going to change it. It's like, no, you've always had problems and this is specifically how you're going to change it by constantly yeah. going for the ball. And I yeah. think that's the kind of difference that we've seen is, no, this is what Tottenham's problem has been. This is how you beat it and do it instead. And you're going to constantly want to score a goal. And uh, yeah, Madison spoke about that a lot. And that was in a preseason friendly. So like, mm. amazing that he's sort of changed that. It was good insight him saying that, yeah, Ange said he's one, like the non-negotiable is that you press from the front. Yeah. Like, like that, we never stop, is you just fucking get at the opposition. They did that. They were and that's the thing, like, you Ange know, said that was really good all the, the amazing, like, you know, sort of copium tweets that rival fans have been um, posting nonstop since last night, you know, talking about, I saw one amazing compilation that some Chelsea fan have made of like all the, all the good chances that teams have squandered against us as, as if like, you know, look, they should be, they should, as if like no team gives up any chances during the course of a 90 minute football match. By the way, that was a 40 second video in, in nine games. So it's not really <laughs> that bad. It's not really that much of an indictment, is it? Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, this idea that, um, I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. But <laughs> completely forgotten. <laughs> copium. I'm talking about copium. <laughs> copium. What was I going to say? Um, oh, I don't know. Just edit that bit out. So I've got can, no I, can I interject, actually, with the copium stuff? Is I love it because it's seeing it from the other side this season, 
because I know all the like all of the things that like Arsenal fans are saying. They're like, oh, they've had an easy start. They'll run out. So I'm like, listen, I was you last season. Yeah, I know, and I'm like, that's how I know we're legit. I was doing exactly the same. I mean, as much as I take the piss out of them right now, I was doing exactly the same. I was like, yeah, they haven't played anyone good yet, and now they've got this really they've got this really tough run of and they just kept winning every single game, didn't mm. they? Yeah, I think that's a sign that we've made. It is that I was doing exactly the same last season. Mm-hmm. Time. Well, let's talk about Spurs potentially keeping on winning because we've got another game in no time at all. Like we mentioned, we're away at Palace on Friday night. Um, I always feel like I always feel like Sellers Park's like away in an evening game is like a really tricky one, but we have got like an astonishingly good record down there. So hopefully that continues. But let's just quickly give me give me some predictions. And I think you know what might be interesting, as Billy said, is perhaps we see a few additions to the starting 11. I mean, I wonder if the subs that we saw um, happen relatively early during the second half mean that we might not actually see that much because, you know, Basuma's back. back. Basuma's back. I mean, we didn't really give Pierre much of a shout, but I think he was, you know, his dependable self and I thought his passing was pretty, was pretty nice. His his pass for the second goal was brilliant. Yeah, he's like anticipation, mm-hmm. and it's like a first time pass as well, right? So he just like pinches the ball off the full and player and passes it immediately. There's no like look like he doesn't have to check. He just he just does it. I thought he was so good, and I feel like I really want him to stay, man. I like if he if he wants to go off and play more football, then fine, be happy, Pierre. But I would like him to stay and just like enjoy some time in the sun rather than you know all the like fucking hard drudge work he's been doing for the past like four years. <laughs> There was a good uh, video, highlights video of his uh, doing the rounds on Twitter, actually, that, um, yeah, his passing was brilliant. Do we think, does anyone think maybe it's Basuma and Hoybier at, in, in the middle against Palace? Mm, what, no, Saar? And he would just give Saar a bit of a rest because he's still so young. He's played a lot of football already. He did go off after receiving treatment, didn't he? Was, you know, he did have some time on the floor and then he came off with the video and I know that um, Tom you mentioned that he'd been unwell and that it was a planned substitution but maybe you know maybe this is a good chance to give Sarah a bit of a rest I mean I always feel like he's a manager's dream because like we were saying you know he just runs and runs and runs and but and Basuma's going to have a lot of sort of legs in him, right? He's had a he's had a break. He didn't go on in. Did he go on international duty? Maybe. I think yeah, I think he did. Yeah, maybe, I think maybe he, did. he did. But at least he's had a week off, and um, uh, maybe Bisuma Hoybier just means Bisuma's a bit more unleashed to kind of get forward and work with Madison. It's going to be yeah. interesting. I mean, Palace. Uh, they're not pulling up any trees. I know they, they won at United a couple of games to go. Since then, they lost 4-0 um, at St. James's Park last Saturday. And before that, they drew 0-0 at home with Forest in a game that they were quite lucky to escape um, with a point from, if I remember. They've only won one home game all season, 3-2 against Wolves. And perhaps most crucially, they're still without Elise and um, Ize. So, you know, their two biggest threats aren't there. Um we should be pretty confident. Give me your predictions, guys. Billy? Uh, I think it's going to be the classic Palace away scoreline of 1-0. Um, just get one chance, one goal, a bit like Ericsson did, a bit like Kane did. They've done it a few times over the last few years. Um, yeah, just a nice 1-0, and I'll take that all day long. Okay, Rosa, I want your prediction and also what I stopped you from what you're about to say. 
Um, what was I going to say? I don't know. Does, it was obviously not very important. Um, I think it's going to be 2 0. Nice. Okay. These are some, some more clean sheets. We like that, Tom. Uh, fuck it. I'm going. So I'm going to will into existence a 3 1. Nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. That'd be fun. Why does feel that like, feel um, better? Even though, like, there's actually, you're like, it's the same margin as my prediction, but somehow 3 1 just feels more fun. Three goals would be nice, wouldn't mm-hmm. it? Maybe there's something scrappy from from Palace. They are at home. Their fans are always good. It'll be it's a Friday night. It's going to be quite rowdy. Mm. Yeah, as you said, Charlie, they've got horrific injuries. Like they're yeah, they're really struggling. It's so no- it was so noticeable though with Fulham, and I don't I don't know how Palace compare at this moment that Fulham just could not score a goal. Like William was still so good, kind of prowling around, kind of you know take like making chances but there was just no one who could make anything of them and I don't like it is just it is hard in football to score goals basically it's like the hardest thing to do so I don't I like I I don't know if Palace will kind of have it really especially hopefully that won't come back to bite me about Alicia and Eze you've got to be oh yeah be winning that game really like this this the two best players like us having like Son and Madison out it's like got no excuses really I think we're going to win. I think we're going to win three 0 and I think we're going to achieve what the team seem to be striving for, which is to score the perfect Angeball goal. Which um, I think Tom, you mentioned, or Rosie, you mentioned that sort of Maisie Romero run, which produced the sort of slide ball into Kulu, who then I think tried to pass it for someone, and then they kind of all tripped over each other. Before that, of course, there was the the sort of Sonny back heel to Udogi, who should have oh, just that, like smacked it. And, oh. oh, just sumptuous stuff. I feel like we're edging closer to this like perfect crystallization of what Ange wants from them in those tight little situations. And I think we're going to get that goal at Sellers Park. I think That's I did impression. read it. Did, either I read it or you said it, Charlie, that this is like the next, the sort of evolution of Ange Ball that we're moving into like the next phase of it. Like in terms playing, of like what he In terms of wants. how we're actually playing and the goals. Oh, okay. in, the, in those moments, basically, the kind of things you're talking about, those like what three or four passages of play that could, that should have ended up in goals would have been like some of the best goals we've ever seen. And it's like, that's the next phase of Angeball. Maybe I feel like I read it earlier today, but it was, I was like, that's really cool. Let's do that. Two words on that. Two words on that. <laughs> Rodrigo Bentoncourt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. We're gonna get this like every pod oh is there until he's god. back. Oh I know, god. I know we need to exercise caution around him, like, you know, probably just making sub appearances for a month or something, but even that's fine. Like just having him to come on for 20 minutes, like what a boost that would be. And also, you know, hopefully that means that by the time um AFCON comes around in January, he'll be he'll be ready to sort of properly step in full-time for either Basuma or, um, or Sar. So yeah, maybe, yeah. What, what games do you reckon? Like I'm thinking maybe, I don't know, Chelsea, perhaps he, he comes on the bench for the first time. Well, that soon for real. Well, he's training. He's in full, he's in full training now. Maybe the Wolves game. Maybe I think maybe and might think Chelsea is a bit too much of a risk. Yeah. I think we might see him on the bench at Wolves and then he might come on for like the last five minutes or something. Yeah. It's really exciting. Um, really, really exciting. It might depend on if Basuma gets suspended again, though, right? That's true. 
Yeah. Oh, and he's also Basuma's still on four yeah. yellows, isn't he? Like because of his stupid red card thing. Even though he had six, he's now on four. <laughs> he's going to be suspended for. This is why I want Pierre to stay because I think Basuma is going to be suspended like at least once more this season. I just really don't twice. want to be Chelsea, man. I re- we re- that's that's one game where it, we need Basuma more than almost any other game. Mm-hmm. It's their midfield three. Yeah, that's the one I want. So as Tom was saying, maybe you might not even see Basuma against Panasunos. Maybe, yeah, maybe, depending on how everyone is. Um, we mentioned, uh, we've just been talking about one um, upcoming away encounter. Let's talk Spurs women and a blistering away encounter um, that they've just had. A 4-2 win at an admittedly struggling Aston Villa last weekend, but some absolutely breathtaking football and goals. Um there was one glorious sort of few minutes where we were top of basically every single league in which we compete in um, across all levels and, and genders. Um, I hope everyone's was, got some screenshots. Yeah, I, I certainly do. Yeah, it's um, it's a really really exciting time for Spurs women, and I think we're you know I feel like the comparisons between the two coaches. You know, you don't want to be too lazy and be like, oh, and also I don't want to do down what Spurs women are doing by some of the narrative that I've kind of started seeing, which is all very much, oh, we're just like, they're just doing like what Angie's doing and they're just copying that. And isn't that clever of them to just sort of hop on that train? You know, what they're doing at Spurs women, the coaching staff all seems to be, you know, super specific to the players we have. And it's, it is, it isn't exactly the same type of football at all, but it's incredibly effective with an incredibly effective goal scorer um, that is not, called Bethany England shock horror um it's, it's amazing, amazing right? Martha Thomas man I I can't get over how good she has been she is now she's got like seven goals in four in games five, four, yeah four or five games man um, oh yeah six it's six in four in the league and then seven in five including the um Conti Cup game yeah she's just she's everywhere man she works so hard it's like She's just a proper classic kind of centre forward, I think, where she just makes such a nuisance of herself and she'll kind of put herself about and she's just always there and you can't shake her off. And she got a hat trick at the weekend and it was so deserved. Uh, it's mad to me. It just has made me think like what other talent is out there being like hoarded by by basically yeah. like the top four. Because she is like, she is now exceeded. Like one goal. United. Yeah, she's, she's in now, the two she's, seasons at United. She's now scored more goals in yeah, yeah, like four WSL games for Spurs. It's it's mad, and it's so, isn't it? There are there are few better things when you watch football than watching a striker when they're in that rich vein of form where they just know every time they put their laces through it, it's going in, and they just have the confidence to try different types of finishes and just like hit it really hard because <laughs> they know that it's just going to be on target. She's just, that confidence is just like flowing through her and it's a wonderful thing. My question to you, Rosa, is when Beth does come back, can this system support, you know, what would be a pretty old fashioned sort of two, you know, robust number nines, you know, they're quite physical you know, relatively similar-ish forwards from what I can sort of tell. A lot of hard running, a lot of good hold-up play, clinical finishing. Can they work together in the same team? Is that something we would even think about doing or what what happens? I think we're going to have to give it a go, to be honest, because you you can't sort of squander that talent, I think. It's like I said earlier, like scoring goals 
is the hardest thing to do in football. So if you've got two players who can score loads of them, then you should probably try to figure out a way to get them playing together. It will be, I can't, like, I can't believe we even have to have this conversation. Like this could be a potential problem for us. It's absolutely wild. Um, I mean, the, I think that, you know, the WSL season is so kind of weirdly stop-start anyway. So kind mm -hmm. of who knows how long it will take Bethany England to kind of come back and get into any sort of form anyway. So it's just, we'll kind of see where that road takes us. I'm mm -hmm. mostly just, I love how we're playing and I know there are sort of irritating comparisons being made all the time and we do play quite differently, really. I think that, but what I think it, has been done is I think it shows that there's actually been some thought put into the, both these appointments yeah, and an idea that Tottenham teams should play a certain way. And it's not just, Oh, we'll have the men's team and then we'll have some women who can also, who are also quite good at kicking a ball around. It's like, no, we, these teams should, there should be like a feeling about them. And some of the stuff we were playing, it was, was so it was kind of a reverse fixture really to what we saw last night because we did struggle I mean Villa are having a really tough time this season but they're not a bad team they've had a horrible run of fixtures and they would have come in but they still would have come into this quite confident and they pressed us hard and we were making very basic errors in the first half as if we kind of never experienced being pressed before um and we went 1-0 down really, really early. We just kind of hung on in there. And then eventually they got tired. So we actually, we went in at the break like 2-1 up, which was incredible. And then after that, the second half, we were just all over them. And it was one of those beautiful afternoons where, you know, like every pass is going to the right player. And every time you go forward, you feel like you're going to score a goal. And actually we should have, you know, we could have been like, six one up by the end but instead we sort of squandered a bunch of chances and they got a really late goal back which was annoying but fine I guess whatever and I just think I love watching them all play we've got so it's not just Martha Thomas we've got like the pivot with Olga Arsenen and Evelina Simonen were playing really well this time the form the the lineup was slightly different so Drew Spence got dropped for Grace Clinton, who was kind of playing in sort of number 10 role. And it meant that Jess Naz got her first start of the season, which was so thrilling to see. And she played, she played so brilliantly. And she, she came off in tandem In tandem with my girl, um, Selene, who I, yeah. the idea of those two playing together. It's the dream, isn't know, it? They are, yeah. you know, proper sort of Spurs heritage, wide, you know, flair mm -hmm. players, both of them. And seeing them both flourish... I was worried about Jess for a bit. It seemed like she was becoming a sort of perennial sub. So having her back in back in the fold is very exciting to me. She's been injured and she is also still really young. I think she's still only mm. about 23. So watching her now, I I fully believe that she has like several levels still to yeah. go through. And I think it's consistency with her, isn't it? I feel like yeah. she was sort of it was like one in every three performances she seemed to really kick on. But yeah, very exciting. I mean, the thing that is the same now is we do finally have, not that Rianne Skinner was not a good manager, but we really didn't have an identity under mm. her kind of, especially like for the last year. And I think it's so clear that um, Robert has a style of play 
and just also the way he talks about everyone. Like if you ever, like I really encourage people to watch his post-match interviews because they are such a delight, man. He's so thrilled to be here and the way he talks about the players, he bigs them up, but like to an almost ridiculous extent. Like he was talking about Molly Bartship as like a future captain of England. I don't, like I don't think she's had like a senior call up, <laughs> but he like <laughs> loves them all so much. He's like, this is what we're going to do. I want, like, I believe in them. And you can see, like, I think in his recent interview, he, like, literally said they were all, like, shining, like, after the game, which is such a beautiful way to talk about your players, right? So I think that is being transmitted to the whole team. And they're really... So it is that same... We're playing in a slightly different way, you know, if you think about the, the way, like, he plays sort of... the Like, the wide players stay wide. So there's no kind of inverted players anywhere. But... um it's just still that proper, We it's, it is almost that thing of we never stop, basically. And it's it's such a delight, man. I'm so, like, we've we've scored the most goals in the league. Like, we're third, which is very cool. That's the Champions League qualification spot. I don't imagine we will be there at the end of the season, although you never know. Um, but, yeah, we've scored the most goals. Who knew employing talented, decent human beings into roles that they are excited about taking up would be a wise thing to do in football. Crazy, right? Let alone Spurs realising that. Mm -hmm. It seems at the same time with both teams. Whether or not it's by luck or design, who knows, but here we are and it's lovely stuff. Um, And we've got two, I know it's the international break now, but then we're at home for two consecutive games against uh, a sort of Merseyside doubleheader, isn't it? We've got Everton Mm -hmm. and then Liverpool, both of which... Relatively winnable. I know, you know Liverpool have had some good results and then Everton beat Liverpool in their derby, didn't they, quite recently, which I think was a relatively surprise result. But, you know, the way we're playing, I don't think... I have think... full confidence, yeah. Yeah, like, I, I think mean... we can expect... I... Like, not like expect to win, obviously, it's football, anything can happen. But like, I, I have a lot of confidence going into those games now. And I know we've got the first North London derby at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium coming up as well. I mean, that always has thus far felt like a fixture. I know we drew, um, we've drawn one of them, haven't we, so far since coming out. But I, and I know Arsenal are still, you know, this huge, terrifying beast in the WSL. But it's the first time I'm a bit like, do you know what? Like, we shouldn't go in there and just hope that it's a sort of respectable defeat. Maybe we can go toe to toe with them a little bit because they don't seem to be firing on all cylinders, do they, Arsenal? They are not. They are struggling a little bit, um, which is very satisfying to see. Of course, prob- I'm sure by the time we play them, like Beth Mead will be like fully, because she just got back last weekend. And then so by the time we play them, she'll be like fully firing again. And mm-hmm. I think like Mead and Mars like due back any day now as well. So obviously they'll have their like terrifying forward line. But I think I just I just think we'll play without fear. I really think it is that thing of just having courage, basically. And I really, it's Sunday, the 17th of December. And I think, like, I really, really hope the club just starts, like, pushing it from now. Like, we've got, like, just under two months. Let's just do it. And I hope they I hope they do it properly. I hope they stick all the Arsenal fans in, in like, one corner of the stadium and don't let them, like, infiltrate the rest of the ground. Like, I want to see it, like, properly done. And we mm. all go there and support the team. Because I actually think, like, I think it could be a proper game. Yeah, with a proper atmosphere as well. You know, I think, and I've, I've was it the one time I think we've had a derby there? I remember going and... It was, you know, it was lovely. And I think that was the game we broke the record as it stood um, that day. But 
it was basically like Spurs fan, Arsenal fan, Spurs fan, Arsenal fan in the stands by and large. And it was, it, you know, had that kind of day out family feel to it. And I'm not saying I want the sort of, you know, menace of a men's North London derby necessarily in women's football because, well, reasons. But like, I, you know, it would be nice for it to feel a little more, you know, for there to be a bit more energy about it, I think. So fingers crossed that Spurs do market the hell out of it. Because like you say, two months... The team's riding high, you know, they've got no some real excuses. personalities yeah. to, you know, I think this is always one of our complaints is, you know, we we just don't know enough about the players. And I feel like they now are blessed with quite an engaging, much like the men's team suddenly have, you know, there's a really good sort of fun, yeah, like decent group of players that are all on the up. You know, let us get to know them a bit better, like just do more stuff with them. I saw someone say that, you know, there's sort of equivalent the match day uncut stuff they do for the men's team, which is like, you know, cinematic, ridiculous. Like, I mean, the, the <laughs> I've kind of started laughing this season at the, um, the sort of soundtrack that they overlay onto it is just like watching a Christopher Nolan film at times. It's just like way, maybe too bombastic. Yeah. And then the women's so one, serious. yeah. Like the women's one was like 55 seconds of, mm-hmm. you know, a 4-2 win away at Villa, which should be surely worth a bit more than that. So. I know, and actually for the first time, I'm like, I want the content and I know I'm not mm. the only one. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I want to see these interviews. I want, I don't just want kind of training sessions. I want like all of the angles from the match. Yeah. You know, we played some properly, properly good football and I think we deserve to be shown that basically. I know they've like got their new like YouTube channel. So hopefully there'll be more stuff up on that at some point. It's you know, right? Takes yeah, time. Just ride the wave, Tottenham. Like we are, we're all begging for it. Like, give us what we want. We will devour the content. Um, and also, there's so much more time this season. Like the men's mm. team is just not playing that much. You can do it. Um, speaking of content, let's talk non-football content and get onto culture. Um, Billy, it's half term. Um, I assume you've been to the cinema at least what I mean. It's Tuesday night. I'm thinking like six times by now. Uh, just, just, just the once. But it was I made up for it by seeing a three and a half hour long film. And um, yeah, I saw Killers of the Flower. Oh, movie. Tom's Tom's looking furious at that <laughs> a three and a half hour movie. I know. Um, I went to the toilet twice during, um, which wasn't too bad. I was expecting to do a lot more because I have a really terrible bladder at the best of times. But yeah, I thought it was. It's an absolute masterpiece, to be honest. It's a, I just thought it was absolutely outstanding. Um, so it's it's based on a story about a true story about the Osage tribe in America. Um, and this is the this is the Scorsese film, just to confirm. Scorsese that. film, yeah, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and um, Robert De Niro and uh, Lily Gladstone, who is by far and away the best thing in it. I'll talk about her in, in a little bit, but it's a it's a really horrible story. It's a, it's a true story. It's a really important story about how this Assad nation who who, who uh, ended up being really, really rich because the land that they they lived on discovered oil there. And um, obviously then um, some white American citizens tried to take that money uh, um, in all kinds of ways and, and essentially by murdering them. And um, it's, I just absolutely loved it. And you, you sort of see your film thinking like, it's three and a half hours. How on earth can you sit through that? But just from the the very first minute, it's just like really, really captivating. It's 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 not like a typical Scorsese film, like with lots of like violence and crime and all this sort of, you know, really fast paced. Like a lot of his films, it's really, really slowly paced. Um, but it's actually just incredible. And the reason that is because of this central performance of Lady Gladstone um, as Molly, 
um, who ends up falling in love with Leonardo DiCaprio. And then there's a lot going on there, which I won't spoil, but she is just absolutely brilliant in this role. And Does she turn 26? Is that the problem? <laughs> slightly older than 26, I think, which is obviously takes you out of the movie a little bit, seeing Leonardo DiCaprio is someone of that age. But um, she is just absolutely fantastic. I think she's going to be an absolute superstar. And the fact that, you know, Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio are obviously two of the finest actors um, that we've ever seen, but she uh, outshines both of them, I think, in this film. Yeah, she's brilliant. And it's a really, really good film. And I, I, I kind of imagine that this three and a half, how on earth are you going to sit through this three and a half hour film? But I do really recommend it. I think it's coming to Apple soon, right? And I think if you're, if the, the sound of that daunting, you know, sitting in the cinema for three and a half hours does seem long, then it'd be a great film to watch at home because you can kind of pause it in between and stuff. But I highly, highly recommend checking it out. I think it's an absolute masterpiece from Scorsese. Um, Tom, will you be waiting till it's on Apple TV Plus? I can't sit still for that long. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not patient enough. I'm gonna have to watch, watch it over like a whole week. Yeah, at least two. At least two nights. You know, I'm not good with films over ninety minutes. Um, I was just gonna do my picks very quickly. Two things, different things. The Pangea album. Um, mm. Billy's heard it. I know yeah, Billy loves the, loves the rave. Uh, it's called Changing Channels. And brilliantly, it's 32 minutes and seven tracks, just uh, <laughs> just as we're on brevity. Uh, and then something not quite as short, I read while I was on holiday, uh, was Jennifer Egan's The Candy House, I finally got round to, which Rosa recommended ages ago. Yes. It's the follow-up to A Visit from the Goon Squad and is really deep, like mind-boggling, brilliant book. Uh, with kind yeah, of- it goes. I'd I'd sort of forgotten that like all of her interests are very sort of like future tech. Yeah, stuff. About a, half of it is very grounded, and half of it is absolutely just goes off on a wild, quite yeah. sci-fi-ish and and tech kind of dystopian, I guess. Um, but yeah, I'd really recommend that The Candy House by Jennifer Egan. I'm so glad you liked it. I loved it. Well, I read it while I was in Morocco. Two quick things about Morocco. Who knew there was a fucking Moroccan West Ham player until I turned up in Morocco and saw West Ham shirts everywhere. I think his name's Agward. They're haunting you, Tom, everywhere. Agward. Um, Yeah, they're fucking everywhere, uh, West Ham fans. And um, just also in Morocco, a waiter chased me around, like, across the pool to show me a video of Tarabd being terrible. Uh, Oh, which was for us, it was a really old video of him playing for us. And I you're think, like, I know, I've seen this. Don't remind me. And, and like Red <laughs> Nap having his ha- head in his hands. Um, but yeah, the, the Moroccans remember. Apparently still only 32 or something to wrap. Um, I, d- I don't believe you. You still are playing legend. somewhere in 32. QPR where. cult hero. QPR fans absolutely idolising. Yeah, Benfica fans as well, apparently. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, like there's a, a there's someone for everyone. Yeah, he turned That's in like nice. a CDM, didn't he? There, there is that one video of him not making someone for Tottenham there where I think I think like and is Anthony Gardner does like this like head in his hands reaction to it. It's, it's a bit of a deep cut reference there. Yeah, there you go. That's what we like. That's what we like. I was wondering so when he said um a waiter was chasing you around, I was wondering where that story was going, sort of had a little Shirley Valentine well, holiday. I, I should have also, I should have mentioned I had a spur shirt on, obviously. By the okay. All right. I, lo- okay. I, I love that. So I hadn't spoke to this guy, but he sort of ran after me and was like, <laughs> look at this video of shit to wrapped. So the Moroccans know. I think he said, oh, he's so selfish. I was like, yes, good at tricks, but very selfish. Tom's um, slightly obscure Coy's uh, holiday 
um, encounters are a nice little um, side quest for this podcast. I'm enjoying them. Yeah, one, um, one, one for the one for the heads. <laughs> one, for the, <laughs> one for the HG heads there. Um, I'll do mine really quick. Um, Barry Can't Swim put out an album last week. Another fine, fine Ninja Tune release in the incredible run. Um, it's called When Will We Land? Also relatively short time, 11 tracks. I've just checked, 41 minutes. So just about um, within the thoroughgood sort of uh, sweet spot. Um, really enjoyed that. Uh, what else have I enjoyed? Bit? Oh, speaking of Apple TV+, Plus, we watched... Um, uh, the supermodels on uh, on Apple um, about um, the sort of late 80s, 90s rise of sort of Naomi, Christy, Cindy and Linda. Um, and it's really, really good. It's four parts. Um, it's sort of similar, I guess, in that. And I wondered if anyone was going to talk a bit more about the Beckham documentary because we finished that. Um but sort of, an, it's a nice kind of time capsule of the period, as much as it is about the sort of individual subjects. Um, and yeah, just really good, really well made. All four of them very likable, which sort of surprised me a little bit, perhaps. But they all spoke really well, really honestly. Um, and Naomi's just like a lot of chaotic fun, as you'd imagine. The sort of utter bullshit that she had to go through. Um, is you know it's completely shocking throughout a lot of it and what was quite nice was the way that the sort of other girls sort of rallied around a lot of the racism that she felt and sort of refused to you know accept bookings unless she was um she was also booked and just you know they they actually all seemed to be pretty close which was nice so i sort of in my head had it down that they'd all like probably hate each other but it doesn't seem to be the case so yeah the uh, four episodes and they, they whiz by um so that is my watching pick. Oh, and I think I've spoken about it before, but uh, the Sampha album is just like exquisite. So I would thoroughly recommend that. Um, Rosa, you're to finish. I have been watching Loki. Bill, I don't know how, are you up to date with it? Yeah, I'm fully up to date with it. I'm all podcasted out from it. I've listened to everything surrounding it. I yeah, need to I'm catch up. It's chaos, man. First, um, I, I enjoyed the first two episodes, but I thought the last one was like a real mess. Yeah, I thought there was some really good stuff in there of Miss Minutes, but I thought, yeah, I'm not. I don't think this, this series has lived up to the first one yet. But yeah, I'm what? just like, just let Loki and um, what's his face, Mobius, just kind yeah. of run around like the universe together. Key That's Hi all we need. Yeah, I read out the introduction of Ki Hai Kwan, but um, true, he's a delight. Yeah. yeah. But I don't really know. It's a bit I've... the whole situation surrounding it, which makes a big cloud over everything. But yeah, so we don't want to. Of... I guess we don't want to spoil it. But yeah, there's like a hot. There's a yeah. They do use the actor that you did not think they were going to use, yeah. basically. Yes. And I Although did it happen? Did it get filmed before? Yeah, it did. It did. Yeah. But yeah. He, I also thought he was terrible in it as well. I thought it was, was awful. Yeah, awful. and maybe that's because now we hate him. I guess. Yeah. I was like, he's so mannered. Yeah, it was really, really weird. Yeah, really it's a very weird, over the top performance. So yeah, I've sort of half enjoyed that. I think I still think it's it's going it's got the potential to be good because mm -hmm. the first series was amazing. The first series was so fun and just Owen Wilson is just like yeah. a consistent delight. Yeah, he is the like wherever he roams. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's one thing I did, and then Tom, I went back to the National Portrait Gallery the other week and. It is so lovely. Like you can. I'm glad it's back. 
it's so it's just so nice to have it back in my life it's that you can see they have sort of like reordered things haven't they and the kind of um the sort of notes on everything are like now they've kind of gone through it more sort of thoughtfully with a sort of contemporary awareness of Mm. because obviously quite a lot of the people in there aren't necessarily like the coolest dudes even though they've got loads of really good pictures of them so that's so it's all it's quite thoughtfully done um there's just so much of it man I just forgot how big it was even though it's one of the more manageable ones I think we kind of made it we went to see the um it was like the last night of the Yvonne um exhibition so the photographer um and her stuff was quite interesting it was like it got she was interesting because I think she got more thoughtful and like her pictures were sort of maybe because she was just taking them for loads of kind of fashion magazines when she was younger and then the kind of older she got the more interesting people she took photos of but there was a sort of whole weird room where she dressed up all of these like society ladies as like Greek goddesses and I was like, this is, and you're cause I'm kind of walking around and you're like, oh, okay, cool. It's like, uh, you know, a couple of the fascist Mitford sisters and stuff. And you're like, oh, right. So they were in that whole gang. So that's the sort of, but that's like a really good example, I think, of how the National Portrait Gallery kind of brings all of these like weird threads together. You're like, oh, that person. Yeah. yeah. And then the, you can kind of one minute be looking at like a Paul McCartney photo or like there's some very there's a prodigy photo and then yeah. the next minute you're looking at like henry the eighth and uh yeah and then like gladstone down there yeah yeah churchill and whatever yeah yeah it's very it's really it was so 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 nice to be back there yeah i spent like a good couple of hours just feeling like oh yeah i, I need was, this back in my life i was planning on taking uh my soon-to-be five-year-old down there on friday so her and i have the day the day together to hang out um whilst everyone else is at work or nursery is it like is there stuff in there to keep a child vaguely occupied or slash interested yeah i mean there there's there's pop stars like there was ed there's ed sheeran and like jacqueline wilson yeah. and malala and like there is some some stuff but it's not like the most interactive yeah because she's like she's really gotten into like taking people's photos like albeit you know on an iphone but like so i thought oh this would be you know she can see you know iconic portraits and that would be fun for her you get an hour out of it there's like recent like photographic pop culture bits and then a few of the kings the kings and queens quickly mm. like and henry the eighth and whatever is quite fun for the kids isn't it yeah it if you're anything so i don't know i just like i tried so hard with my kids and i do drag them to like whatever kind of random gallery or museum i want to go to and then like but very quickly they're just like this is boring and i've sort of realized with, well at least with my oldest she's actually not interested in like other people's art she just wants to do her own Uh, yeah that could be where we fall down there yeah Um, Yeah. but then you'll be like up there and there's just kind of you then you could just have like a lovely wander around town yeah it's so central you can just wander into Covent Garden Um, there you go your day is saved okay good that's good to know um her other big obsession at the moment is Strictly which she's gotten into for the first time um I'm gonna say Delphine yeah, welcome. <laughs> yeah, hashtag welcome, Delphine. Um, I'm going to save a big Strictly chat for next week because I'm aware that we are at our we're we're basically at time. We are w- well over what we agreed we would do. So I'm not going to dive into a 25 minute Strictly chat, but um, we'll do that next week. But 
suffice it to say i am also like massively obsessed so i'm looking forward to that um no big no, shocks we... yet either which there might be because we've because so basically we're at the point now where like all of the really terrible dancers have gone home so i think next week is going to be a bit of like oh maybe somebody's favorite might actually get knocked out this That's was it she it couldn't serious. like yeah she was like i just she was like, i just don't know who's going to go home. like this is because like, i think yeah she could sort of predict thus far who she thought was going to go and now she's it's like keeping her up at night the idea of not knowing who might go um Anyway. The whole concept of them like leaving and never coming back is quite it's quite a big yeah, deal. Yeah, it is. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot for a, yeah, not yet. You're learning year about loss, kids. Between that and dragging her around Tottenham watching Spurs, she is uh, being put through the ringer more than she sh- should have any right to be, I suppose. <laughs> um, anyway, that was episode 14, season three of Hometown Glory. Thank you all for listening. Thank you very much for your company, Billy, Rosa and Tom. Um, this is Hometown Glory, top of the league out. Billy, see us home. Up the Spurs. Up the Spurs.